Hi, it's Rebecca Whitman, your host of the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. I'm a top-rated life coach, an international best-selling author, and a multi-passionate entrepreneur. I'm on a mission to help you go from burned out to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. The experts on this show will help you achieve work-life balance so that you can experience abundance in seven pillars of life, spirituality, health, emotions, romance, mindset, social, and financial life. When you have all seven pillars of life in alignment, you are balanced, beautiful, and abundant. Let's go. Welcome, everybody, to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. I am your host, Rebecca Whitman, helping you go from burned out, overwhelmed, stressed, to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. I'm so excited. I have a friend that I met online, Manuel, and I was on his show. We've been planning this interview for six months, it seems like. And I'm so glad the day is finally here that I get to interview you. Welcome to the show, Day. Uh, thanks, Rebecca. And, and I know sometimes it's pronounced day, but sometimes it's also pronounced die. So die. You can, we'll, we'll go with the Welsh <laughs> pronunciation. But no, you're you're correct. It is pronounced both ways. But uh, I usually pronounce it my Welsh form. And, uh, okay, die. Which, and it's weird because die is a short form of David. And if you've ever seen how they spell things in Wales, Way too many consonants, okay? okay <laughs> Way too many. So. Got it, Di. Yeah. So let me tell you about my wonderful guest. Uh, Di is on a mission to inspire and posit positively impact one million role models. He is encouraging them to lead a functionally healthy life. And as a thought leader and author, Di has mastered leading by example, staying true to his values of fitness, faith, finances, and fun. He is a sought-after mentor, executive performance coach, keynote speaker, and this isn't on his bio, but I was just talking before we hit record. He also used to own a major retail chain in Canada and sold it for a very profitable multi-million dollar exit, and he is just a badass entrepreneur. He's a dad. He's a husband. He is just an enthusiast for life. So welcome to the show, Di. Hello, Rebecca. Well, thank you. It's it's wonderful to see you again because I had the honor of interviewing you on my new podcast. And you were one of the very first guests. And I've already been getting great feedback from our episode because you are the abundance mentor. And, and it was clearly the way you threw down all that the, the, those wisdom bombs in our conversation. I, and I'm just excited that I get to reciprocate a little bit of that today. I'm so excited. And if you've been listening to the show, we are now in the top 0.5% globally in self-help. So thank you everybody for listening, sharing. And I'm so humbled to say you guys are the first people to know after die that I am now rated top five entrepreneur to watch by USA Today magazine in 2024. So I am just a little shocked, elated, humbled, grateful. And I'm so excited that right after I hear the news that I get to have this wonderful conversation with this inspirational thought leader who is going to just drop so many thought bombs and just nuggets of knowledge that you are going to be mind blown. So 
tell us your story, Di. How did you get to be the multi-passionate entrepreneur that you are? Tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, thank you. I, I was like, how far can we go back? You know, like uh, I'm 47 <laughs> years young now and uh, a father of two wonderful daughters. They're they're 18 and 20 now. I almost say kids, but it, like they're kind of, they don't like it when I refer to them as kids anymore, but you know, they're, they're always going to be my kids. So they're, they're young people, you know, and, uh, and I've been dating my wife, Christy, who's also my best friend, uh, and life partner, you know, for 23 years. And, and so it, it, you know, those are the things that are most alive and real for me and, and really some of the biggest motivations for why I do what I do. And what I've done for most of my life has been all about impact and really trying to impact people's lives positively largely due to the fact that I myself was on the opposite end of that for a good chunk of my developmental years as a teenager. And what I mean by this was I, uh, well, let's just put it this way. I, I had a fairly traumatic event when I was nine and 10 years old. Uh, and that traumatic event for me changed my my outlook on life and, and my perspective on family. It, my parents, you know, they dropped the bomb. They were getting separated and divorced. And, and you know, life was perfect. You know, when you're age nine, I mean, everything's just like, yada, yada, yada. And, and, and then when they dropped that, because we didn't see that coming, my brother, my brother being a couple years, my, my junior, and uh, it really rocked me emotionally and psychologically. And just to date myself, I told you I was 47. I'm a kid of the eighties. Okay. Yay, and yeah, and, but you remember this, Rebecca, like, yes. it's not like we had the internet like we do today. And also there was a heavy stigmatization. I, I know in North America back then. Um, because it was still heavy influence as far as what is a family, you know, what is a marriage that's sanctioned, you know, and, and if there was divorces, it wasn't something that was really public, nor was it a lot of resources to support people through that, especially kids. Yeah. And my parents did the best they could. And uh, what ended up happening was I, I emotionally was looking for ways to feel in control. And I found that through video games, movie watching, and eating, let's just say, plenty of calories, just not necessarily healthy calories. <laughs> and uh, by age 15, I was morbidly obese. And wow. uh, and that's really where the whole thing started because I, I got to a place where I just was more afraid of not changing than the idea of changing. And I finally said, you know what, I need some help. And I was very fortunate. I had people there that were willing to help, you know, and, and lend a hand, even though I was sheepishly extending mine, asking for it. And, uh, you know, it took five, five and a half years to put all that weight on. But when I made the choice and started to get help and started to just do things differently, took 20 months to release all that weight. And boom, that set me on the trajectory that I've been on the last 30 years, which is really trying to help other people with change too. So you were like 17 by the time you lost all the weight? Correct. That's right. So did you have like a prom date with your wife <laughs> and like sail off happily in the sunset and stay married forever after? Is that... The big payoff for losing all the weight. Like what, what happened? Do they even That's have a awesome. in Canada? I don't know. <laughs> we do. We do. And, um, and you know, the funny thing for me initially, like people sometimes ask, what was some of the motivation that kept me moving forward when I was changing just my lifestyle? Yeah. Um, and, and to be fair, I often let people know, it's like, well, I, I kind of wanted a girlfriend, you know, and, and really what I was saying, Rebecca, like I've, I've now been through, you know, I've worked with psychologists. I've, I've now done the inner work to really reprocess yeah. and, and reframe a lot of what ex experiences I had, you know, and, and I'm not a trauma expert or trauma release expert, but I do believe in that type of, of talk therapy, especially cognitive behavioral therapy and 
We can talk about that a little bit later if we want. Like, um, but I used to struggle with alcohol because of my self opinion and, and low self esteem. That was a result of just the, the teasing, the ridicule, the the self isolation, and and some of those really hard years as a teenager. And um, but here was the thing: at the bottom of everything, I just wanted to be loved. I wanted somebody to want me. And like, like that really was what it boiled down to. And so in, in essence, me externalizing that as a girlfriend, that to me just meant that there was actually somebody in the world that wanted me for me. Yeah. And uh, that was a, a big internal driver for me, you know, it was like, I, and I noticed as soon as I started changing my physicality, my energy changed, people in my own grade always looked at me as the fat kid, but the girls a grade or two above me didn't know my past. And it was funny. So I, I tended to date girls that were a couple of years older than me. <laughs> and so um, that was great. You know, I had no problem with that. And, uh, and so, yeah, it just, it was an interesting couple of years of high school uh, after I made those changes, but I did realize in full disclosure, Rebecca, and, and those that are listening or watching this, like when you're that age, I mean, a lot of things are just very surface because it's what we see. It's what we feel is real. It's, uh, it just is what it is. And I, I know that's a cliche, but uh, it's the base, most basic way I can describe it. But here's the thing. At that place, I was looking at everything on the outside, thinking that was the issue to change. And I was not aware, nor was I open to the idea that maybe there's some things internally I need to also change or shift. Yeah. And because of that lack of awareness and lack of mentorship and positive modeling in my life, because that's how we all learn. I mean, that's why you're such a wonderful example of this, because you are an abundance mentor, because you show through your actions, right? But you also lead people down a path, but it's not like it's a path that you haven't yourself already been down. Exactly. And and I think that's beautiful and powerful. And, and, and yet if we don't have those people modeling those behaviors that we want ourselves to adopt and we don't have someone mentoring us to say, Hey, watch out. I tripped there last week. And if you don't watch yourself, you're going to trip there too. You know, like it really stagnates our ability to move forward in life and grow as a person. And, uh, and so I feel a lot for people because that's exactly where I was, you know? And, uh, yeah. um, I realized that I had a lot of internal baggage that didn't get addressed. And it made my 20s and my early 30s quite challenging because I, I moved from food to deal with some of that emotional baggage I referred to earlier, the psychological issues that I was working through or not working through. And I discovered alcohol and it became a huge component of my life. Um, well, highly how functioning. Go, how did you go from, from drinking excessively to being this you know, fitness guru, executive <laughs> coach? Well, I always enjoyed fitness. You know, mm -hmm. because I recognize that fitness was one of the biggest components and consistent components that helped me through the change that I made myself. And it also became some way, a way for me to manage my mental health a bit more effectively and, and healthily. Right. And and I just made me feel better. So I knew that no matter how bad things got, I was only ever one workout away from feeling a bit better than I was before the workout. Yes. And so I'm very fortunate and grateful that I had that experience so early on because that's always stuck with me. And so fitness has been consistent, but the other pieces have not. And, and more importantly, this alcohol piece, it was me believing that people preferred hanging out with the drinking version of me than the normal version of me. Mm -hmm. And this, again, was that true? I believed it to be true, you know, and, and that's enough. <laughs> and, 
And I uh, perpetuated that, you know, I even met my wife, um, we, we, we had our two daughters quite young. Um, and, you know, I was rapidly trying to build a business with a business partner that was a, a mentor of mine. And, you know, so everybody on the outside, looking at us thought, man, what a great family, you know, they got everything going on. Look at this, he's got a great career, you know, da, 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 da. I started doing a lot of social media and trying to help people through that. But on the flip side, I had this little dark part of me that made me feel like an imposter. And, you know, you can only subdue that feeling for so long. There eventually comes a point, it's going to bubble up and it's going to overflow into everything else that we do. It just, I mean, I have not had a situation where that didn't uh, appear to be true, but also <laughs> turn out to be true, you know, just through what my, my repercussions were from some of my choices. And by 32, uh, I was looking at losing everything. You know, so this is 15 That's years, so 17 funny. to 32. I hit a bottom yeah. with my alcohol at 32 as well. Are you serious? Yeah. Really? Uh, oh. So did you end up getting sober or how did, how did mm -hmm. you get over your drinking? Well, I, I was very fortunate because I have a wife that no matter the dark days and, and no matter how stupid I was being, the person she fell in love with was also the person that she saw so much potential in. Mm-hmm. And she was always good at reminding me of that potential and trying to draw that out of me. And, and she's the only person in my life other than, you know, obviously parents, but that's different. I mean, they're, yeah, that's like conditional bias, but uh, <laughs> because, you know, being a father now, I totally get that. Uh, it's like, I don't care how wrong my girls might be. It's like, they're never really wrong. You know, like yeah. it's, it's okay. Um, but for me, you know, at 32, it got to a place where everything was falling apart. Like it was becoming much harder to manage and my drinking frequency was increasing and it just, things started falling apart, you know, especially my relationship with my wife, but she wasn't ready to throw in the towel because our kids at the time were four and six years old. Oh yeah. It's very young, very young, but also she was under the belief that, you know, we're in love still. And we were, we, when, when I wasn't drinking, things were awesome. Um, and so there was enough there that, we had this great foundation and it wasn't something that she was willing to just turn tail and run from without fighting for it because she wanted to be able to say, and this, is, I, I think a lot of people are going to relate with this, but her, her reasoning behind this was when our kids became older and more aware and have the ability to ask the questions like, why are you and mom or you and dad not together anymore? She wanted to be able to look them in the eyes and say, listen, we did everything that we possibly could to try to make the relationship work. She wasn't willing to quit unless we did do that work. And I had to get to a place, though, to be perfectly transparent, Rebecca, where I, too, was now ready to do the work. Just like at 15 years old, I mean, it was like five years of me living in this state of unhealth, but then eventually got to a place where I was like, okay, if I keep going, I'm more afraid of that future than the idea of like just figuring out how to change things, you know? And and same thing happened again at 32, but this happened across a, a kitchen table with my wife looking me in the eyes and saying, you know what? This isn't an environment I'm willing to raise the kids in anymore. We're going to have to talk about what co-parenting looks like and where you might be living come next week. And, and Rebecca, that's it, a wake up call. Oh, well, yeah. And then she follows it up with this question. Am I die? Are you being the type of man that you would want to marry your daughters? And Rebecca, it was like a lightning bolt. Mm. Uh, actually, more appropriately, and I'll give you sort of a PG version of it, but felt like I got punched in the nose and kicked between the legs at the same time. 
Yeah. You know, like it was instantly gutted, but also at the same time, like, oh, you're right. Because I couldn't say anything. And being a guy that's been in sales all my adult life, I figure I'm pretty good at handling objections and dealing with tough conversations. I had nothing. <laughs> you know, there was like, there's no defending this because she's absolutely correct. And it was in that moment, like literally, and this is, it's weird, right? But when we're ready to make a change, the easiest thing to do is just make the change, you know? And I know it sounds overly simplistic, but I, I made a commitment to my wife and my two daughters right then and there. I was going to go one year without drinking. Now, keep in mind, I know there's people listening or, 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 or watching this and they're like, oh man, only a year. It sounds like you were an alcoholic. That This is uh, something out of your control. Like that's the, you mean, you're, you're just delaying the inevitable. Like I've heard it all. But for me at that point, that would have been the longest stint without drinking that I'd had since 17 years old. You know, because my I'd only done like two months where I'd done like sober Januarys or a sober December, you know, like then that was it. It was more gimmicky than anything. And uh, and so me making this commitment to say no to alcohol was huge because it was what was allowing me to function. And I realized it was a big crutch in my life because as soon as you take the crutch away, you're like, oh, boy, I've been ignoring that little injury or that little bit of a limp that I got here. And now I'm very aware of it. And it was so in that now moment. Yeah, sorry. Stop drinking. And yeah. what I want to hear is <laughs> how you got to be this badass entrepreneur. All right. All right. Well, other questions. <laughs> no, I think it's great. And, and this context is important because, you know, it was in that moment at 32. I realized, and this was the first yeah. time in my life, I truly got vulnerable with my wife. Mm. Because after about three or four weeks into that, you know, I'm only like a month into this one year of sobriety. And I was like, holy crow, this is way too hard. Like, yeah. I mean, I'd get the night sweats. Like I, I'd be invited to social things and I was afraid to go because I couldn't control myself. I'd want to drink. And just all these internal dialogues were happening in my mind. And, and it was very distracting. And, and here was my crutch was no longer there for me to quiet my mind. I usually have a couple of drinks, you know, maybe a bottle mm-hmm. of wine oh, and I'll be fine till tomorrow. I didn't have that. And so one night I literally did verbal diarrhea all over my wife. So it was like, I just like poured my heart and soul and everything out that was going on onto her lap on the couch. (laughs) And she was amazing, Rebecca, from the standpoint, she held space as well as was a very generous listener. Like she just listened. She just took it all in. And I, I felt like I was going on for like 30, 40, 50 minutes, you know, like I just felt like it just kept going. I just like everything just dumped it all out told her about me being obese as a kid, talked about some of the ridicule I used to have to deal with, talked about my self-esteem issues, you know, and it was very cathartic sharing that. And at the end of it, she looks at me and she's like, thank you. I love you, Di. It's going to be okay. I think you need to talk to somebody, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and to be fair, I'm like, I just talked to you. What do you mean I got to talk to somebody? And And I had a very negative outlook on mental health services at that point. I thought, you know, no, I, I'm not crazy. I don't need to do that. Like, I mean, just very ignorant, you know, at that time. And, uh, but I took that advice and I went and got help. Worked with a psychologist, worked with a relationships counselor, also found a couple of new mentors and, and communities to be a part of, and, and really started to change my association, but also change the way I think about myself. At the end of that year, my wife and I are talking about, hey, you know, you did it. You did it a year. I'm like, holy crap, I did a whole year. <laughs> you know, like it was like, wow. And 
we were talking about possibly sharing a, a bottle of wine while we watched the sunset, you know, and, and to celebrate. And, and I was like, you know, Christy, so much has changed in just 12 months. What would happen if I kept moving forward with this? If I just didn't drink? And she's like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, I don't know, but I, I'm willing to find out. Anyways, I just celebrated 14 years, you know, since wow. my last drink. Yeah, thank you. That's incredible. Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's, and it's, everything's changed. And in those 14 years, my career changed. Like things got better because all of a sudden I realized I had extra resources, extra energy, extra focus. I got re-grounded and re-acclimatized um, really to the life I'd always wanted, the, the idea of that life. And then I just started living into that. You know, like who is the kind of guy or, or more importantly, I'd ask myself, you know, what does it mean to be a great man? That was a question I would ask myself rhetorically all the time. That's and, a good question. If you're yeah. listening to ask yourself, what does it mean to be a great man or woman or person? Yeah. yeah. And, and that helped guide me a lot of the times, you know, it's like, well, a man like that, you know, if I'm a great dad, I'm a dad that it's not a matter of lots of time with my kids, but it's quality time. Yeah. And I uh, apologize if you hear some vibrations, I can hear something going on in one of the units around me. So if you get a little bit of that background noise, my apologies, everybody. It's uh, oh, happening. I, I cannot hear any okay, of good, it. Good, good. So what I love about the story is that you shared so vulnerably with your wife and that kind of mm. opened up a whole new version of yourself. Yes. Why do you think vulnerability is a superpower for people? <laughs> well, it, first and foremost, I think it's a skill. And it's a skill that any one of us can develop. But we have to look at our relationship with the idea of what vulnerability is, sort of our own internal definition rather than just a textbook definition. Because I know if I'm talking contextually to, to a group of IT people, they're like, vulnerabilities aren't a good thing. You know, we, we want to fix vulnerabilities. You maybe get McAfee over here helping you with your system, you know? like right. So context is important. So when we think about from the human condition side of things and vulnerability, a lot of people have a belief that it's a negative thing. It's not something to be proud of. It's something that we should be avoiding. It's a sign of weakness. And, and this is very specific as far as a man's perspective versus a woman's perspective. Mm -hmm. And again, remember, I'm a man identifying as a man. And so I'm speaking from my own experience and perspective on that side. Um, and for me, it was just this idea of I need a deeper connection with people. I needed to be able to, to get to a place where I could carry a conversation with another man and not feel like he's competition and that I'm sizing him up and that if I share something that I shouldn't share that he might use it against me. Like literally these were things that would go on in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I could tell it was holding me back from really fully living my life and making those great connections and, and, and really being able to create better friendships and alliances and partnerships and collaborations. Like everything just opens up. But we think about it. How do we get to know somebody? It, it's an act of vulnerability in getting to know someone. And, and it takes time. It develops trust. And it's not just given away you know, freely. Like people do earn trust. They earn the ability to, uh, to receive vulnerability in a vulnerable state, right? And, but it all has to be sort of held in a container. And this is what I found as a man. It was really challenging at first because most of the models, role models in my life up to that point, you know, and this is like in my early 30s, I, there was a very negative outlook on being vulnerable. I mean, we, we had lots of surface conversation. We talk about sports, you know, we, we complain about our spouses or complain about <laughs> the kids doing something weird, you know, and, and it just felt really empty. 
Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the conversation, I didn't feel like I really got to know a lot of people, especially those internal driving things that keep us getting up every morning with excitement and zest and 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 just that oomph that we want to live our life with. And I felt that was really lacking. Yeah. And, and until someone, and this is the crazy thing, and I'll end it at this because I'd love to hear your insights on this, is vulnerability. If you think about it, somebody's got to go first. Yes. You know, someone's got to go first. Who's going to take a little bit of a risk? Right. And hopefully it's established through some trust initially. So we feel that that bridge is already there, that we can make that leap confidently. But there's always going to be a level of risk. And some of us, I'll actually say most of us men are very risk averse when it comes to being vulnerable. <laughs> you yeah, know, and, and it's because we haven't really learned how to do it in a healthy and protective way, you know. And so, but that was something that I, I'm still working on it. Okay. Full disclosure 14 years later, I'm still working on it, you know. And, but, it's made my life so much more richer, you know, the relationships yeah. and the connections. And uh, again, apologies for the the drill. I don't even hear it. Um, yeah, I okay. think, uh, you know, Generation X, uh, mm-hmm. if you study generation psychology, the, the men in our generation were not given any space to be emotional. And that is why a lot of them are shut down or they drink or they eat or they don't show a lot of emotion. They're very flatlined. So I think you're truly a thought leader in modeling what it's like to be an emotionally available, vulnerable, vulnerable man. And you are, you leave with your heart. I mean, it's, it's really, really inspiring to see that. Speaking of uh, leading with your heart and, you know, guys that are victims, how do people stop? One of my favorite sayings is going from victim to victor. You like to call it how to be a champion of change rather than a victim. What is a way that we can shift out of victim mentality? Fantastic question. I And, and I think, wow, I'm just trying to think about the best way. Yeah, you sure you can't hear that? Because I can totally hear it. We cannot hear it. Oh, I love it. Okay, Zoom so everybody, I'm sorry. A... Sorry, I keep saying that. I'm like, oh you don't have gosh, to worry about it. We, okay, we great. I'm it. not going to ask again. And even um, if we could, I have a great producer who can fix it in post. So don't oh, worry. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca. Well, yeah. l- listen, that victor menta- uh, victim mentality is something that I think we're all very familiar with. And it's a, it's a very natural place to get to. It's also heavily normalized. And what I mean by that is many of us grow up in life thinking that losing is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at, especially North American cultures, right? Like Commonwealth yes. countries, like sports are a big part of it. Competition's a big part of it. Big. And I'm not saying competition's bad, okay? Because yeah. competition creates innovation. It creates yeah. change. It's important. However, we have to keep in mind with kids and when we're young adults, even at that, too much competition, especially competition in personal arenas as far as relationships might be concerned and other aspects, being even a dad, like, I want to be the best dad out there. Let me go. Win, win, win. Like, it it puts a different slant on things, especially from the Mm -hmm. intentions and and the awareness of actually doing it. And uh, so I think first and foremost is just recognizing, you know, do we have this more um, sort of a default or normalized thought process that we tend to tend to the side that's negative rather than maybe leaning to the side that's more positive. So, you know, Carol Dweck's done some wonderful work in the growth mindset space. 
and and uh, psychology space. And and when we look at sort of this growth versus fixed mindset, I find that those two polars, that's the difference between victor and victim as well. You know, mm -hmm. it's a lot of that perspective on our own life and circumstances that compose that life. And listen, I get it. It's, I mean, geez, we've all felt like a bit of a victim over the last few years, especially during the big COVID, right? Like it was, mm -hmm. this is something forced upon us. We're being forced to change and adapt. None of us signed up saying, hey, give us this. We want this, you know? So a lot of us experience change that way. We're, we're, we are change averse as a species because we are actually, you know, genetically speaking, very lazy. It's all about conserving energy, you know, yeah. doing as little as possible to try to get as much as possible. And, and this is in our DNA for a millennia. So I, it's like we're trying to overcome this sort of evolution, mental evolution, but the physical hasn't necessarily caught up as far as hormones are concerned, the fight and flight mechanism, our nervous system. And this is getting more into the science behind why we might feel or experience certain things. But at the end of the day, it's our world perspective and our internal perspective. And so starting and just becoming mindful, what is your default? Do you go more to the negative, more to limiting beliefs and put a lot more stock in that than the opposite? Well, if so, that's a good place to start is start asking yourself, why is that? Why do I act like this? Why is that my sort of go-to belief around, say, family values? You know, maybe there's a, I had one client that really had a, a challenging upbringing with, with parents that were uh, addicted to, to narcotics. And, you know, a very traumatic upbringing, of course, but, you know, when the parents were sober and, and they were the best people, but, you know, unfortunately there was this internal enemy that they both fought. Uh, and, you know, so he's got these certain family ideals that he wants for his current family, but there's also all this bias from his upbringing that's conflicting with that. And if we don't reconcile the two, it's really hard. I mean, I lived this, right? With my more so how do we reconcile it? Do we hire a therapist? I recommend professionals. I straight yeah. up professional. <laughs> like I, I, I tried doing it on my own. Forget it. But I can honestly say for anybody listening and watching, like I went all in with a psychologist. And what I mean by that is I was going twice a week and I did that for six months. I went all in. And some people yeah. might be thinking, well, why didn't you just keep going? I'm like, I, we actually got to a place where I was like, I don't need to be here anymore. Yeah. Like, I, I did the work, <laughs> you that's know, right. I I'm did not nine that years. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right. I, I, but the thing is, is it I doesn't have work, to take yeah. long to change. That's great. Yeah. You, yeah. you changed fast. I did. And, and everything changed from there. Cause eventually, you know, I realized I don't want to be in retail anymore. That's what my old company was. And uh, I, I wrote a book, you know, we started doing a lot more community-based things. My wife and I just volunteering our time, creating these wonderful communities of people where we would give them free fitness classes, free life coaching, because we just wanted to help. It made us feel really good. And we both had careers that were paying us really well anyway. So it wasn't like we had this pressure to have to monetize these other passion projects. We just right. did it because we loved it. Yeah. But eventually we realized how much we loved it. And it was like, could we do more of this for the rest of our life? Because like, if we could, man, that'd be pretty fun. And so over time, over about five-year period there, up to about 2015, almost almost 2016, halfway through 2015, I was still working as a COO and CMO of my other company. And, and it got to a place where I just, I, I could not show up anymore. My heart wasn't in it. My mind wasn't in it. And I knew it wasn't doing the company service. So I, you know, gave 18 months notice leading up to that. So back in like 2013, I said, I'm, you know, by 2015, I'm out, I'm gone. I'm not, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to leave. I got to do other things. And, 
it turned out, you know, got to that place and just realized I'm, I'm going to have a clean break. So I ended up just exiting out and, and uh, went all in with what we're doing now, which is just showing up to try to help people. You know, like it, it's, I know it's overly simplistic. Right? People are like, well, that sounds really basic. And I'm like, well, yeah. it is, it is, you know, uh, but I love it. And I'll do it I every day. I love what you're doing. And I like what Zig Ziglar said, you know, service to many leads to greatness and through your social media, and your coaching business and your fitness influencing, you are helping so many people. And now your podcast, where you're going to have even more reach. So your podcast is called The 2% Solution. That's Tell right. us about that. What does that mean, 2% Solution? Uh, great question. And, and well, here's the thing. So, you know, when you want to make a change, it it's you have to change the habits, the actions, right? Because yeah. that will ultimately also influence the results. So if it's sort of like going back to the science 101, right? Where they talk about the black box. Well, let's measure the inputs we put in. We'll measure the outputs. And if we want to change the outputs, well, let's just change the inputs, you know? And I mean, it's really basic. <laughs> However, we like to complicate things just as a species. I don't know why, but we just have that tendency. I, I think, it, you know, that, that idea of what is it, Occam's razor, right? Like the... The simplest and most obvious uh, uh, reason is usually the correct reason, but we tend to go off the deep end, right? And think about all these sort of fantastical ideas on the way things can be. And, and what I needed to do, and this is really a personal statement more than anything, was I, I had to get to a place where I could reconcile the time and energy piece when it comes to making change, because that, that is the biggest holdup for most people when it comes to making any sorts of change. They realize, I'm gonna have to start doing things differently, it's going to require a lot of energy. I'm going to probably have to challenge some of my belief systems. I might not feel very good doing it. You know, there's just all these things stacked against us. So I had to sort of work through that, but also get to a place where it was like, what would be the minimal amount of effort I would need to do to start to see positive change in my life? And what I realized was, and I, I hinted that we had these Sunday Sunday classes that we would host and we'd get upwards to hundred people every Sunday morning for free showing up to do workouts as a group. And it was awesome because they were basically like guinea pigs. Like I was <laughs> testing my coaching. I was testing different methodologies. Like literally, it was like, this is my my my, my big Petri dish, right? And uh, what I learned over those five years of running those sessions was a lot around the mindset of change. Because we had demographically kids uh, as early as 13 years old working out with their parents. And then I had a guy with a prosthetic leg in his 60s. I also had a married couple in their 70s. Like we had the full gamut, genders, races. I mean, uh, you name it. We had those people showing up. And so I got to look at it more from a, a, a human aspect, you know? And what I realized was people just need good mentorship and good modeling. That's it. And if you can find a good mentor or a group to model healthier behaviors, it's a lot easier to adapt those. And the minimum effective dose was this 2% which is I would ask people, can you give me 2% of your 24 hours every day? And they're like, yeah, 2%. That doesn't sound like much. No problem. And then I go, great. It's 30 minutes a day. And then, like, oh, wait, 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 30 minutes. <laughs> you know, it's like, so I realized I had to sort of frame it differently. When I say it's 2% of your full 24 hour day, people are like, well, that's not very much. And it's not. But as soon as you say, oh, it's 30 minutes. A lot of people are like, oh gosh, I don't have 30 minutes. I'm like, yes, you do. 30 minutes doesn't sound like a lot to me to change your life. So you can apply this 2% solution to physical, mental, and spiritual health. 
And yeah, all of it. Like really it's this idea of not trying to do everything all at once, you know, and, and I feel bad for some people because I think they pick up certain resources that preach about different rituals, in particular morning rituals, right? It's like, oh, I got to do this list of 12 things every morning and my life's going to be great. Well, that's a lot to change to do all at once. Yes. It's also very hard to maintain and sustain that kind of level of commitment, especially for, for these types of morning rituals. And the way it's often prescribed is it's an all or nothing. You know, like I, I look at programs like 75 Heart as an example, you know, and it's great. I, I mean, all for it if you're willing to commit to that, but it is a really hard program. That's why it's called 75 Heart, 75 day yeah. commitment. And you work out twice a day. You got to read X amount of books. You got a journal. Like there's just this massive list and it's great and effective. But what I've noticed for a lot of people that when they buy into something like that is they don't realize how hard it is to maintain that level of commitment. And as soon as you see one thing slide, it's a great big opening in that doorway to quit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and so my, my invitation is just, if you set aside 30 minutes every day as a non-negotiable time slot for your own personal and professional development, focus on one or two things that you do in that 30 minutes, you know, and just commit to those for now, start with that. And, and I often will encourage people do fitness, you know, do something that's physically active, moving your body with purpose at, at the very minimum for 15 minutes. And, and it's interesting because my book talks all about this, the whole life fitness manifesto, this 2% solution. And, and the way I teach people this is I invite them to set aside 30 minutes a day. The first 15 minutes is movement with purpose. Mm -hmm. So you're going to, you know, create a bit of a sweat, get the heart rate elevated, it's body weight based, so calisthenic exercises. So no excuses here. You don't need any fancy equipment. You don't even need fancy shoes. You can put a towel on the floor. You got enough room to do a workout. 15 minutes. Next, five minutes of mindful meditation. I find it's much easier to do it when your breath and heart rate's elevated because to be cool and calm and just focus on your breathing when you're literally ending a workout is a great time to become much more aware of your breath. You know, because it's quite labored when you've been working out and now you're trying to calm it. You're trying to become still again. And so it really builds this internal awareness, I find, if you practice mindful meditation immediately following a workout. And, and again, it becomes something maybe more for some people after the fact, but this is a, an easy pill to swallow. <laughs> it's five yes. minutes of meditation. Now you're primed, Rebecca. Okay, now we're primed. We got 10 minutes left of that 2%. This is where you want to have focused, intentional inputs that are positive that you're feeding your mind it'd be like listening to a great podcast like yours rebecca right or watching a ted talk yeah you know, maybe attending one of your 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 webinars or your online events you know like there's so many different ways of leveraging time to influence our mental uh, you know perspective on the world and ourselves but unless we change the inputs and make them more positive i mean we're going to tend to attract more of what we're putting in so if you're just reading the news and reading the negative stuff and your, you know, your best friends are really negative, you know, Nancy's and dumper Dave's and, you know, people that are just like negative, negative, negative. This. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. And, and if that's your normal, like you can't be upset at yourself if that's your perspective as well. It's just right. the nature of hanging out with certain people for a certain period of time. You start to adapt and become more like them. I mean, Jim Rohn's talked about this, you know, where we're in the net, some of the five closest relationships that we hold. And, uh, you know, once you're aware of that, you can start to make conscious decisions and, and intentions around how you want to start to influence the change in your life. But it can start as simply with just 2% a day, you know, and, and that, that is all I, I encourage people to do.
you know, just 2% a day. If you can commit to that, believe me, after 28 days, you will notice a significant shift. And, and then, that's just the beginning. Yeah, yeah. where will you be after a year? So oh just to gosh. reiterate, if you're yeah. listening and driving, working out, <laughs> 15 minutes of movement, five minutes of meditation, and 10 minutes of positive input. And if you do that every day, seven days a week, after a year, that's 365 times 2%. I'm not great at math, but now you're at over 700% improvement. Massive. And if, you, if you improved over 700% every year, imagine where you'd be in 10 oh, years or 20 years. I mean, crazy. we're talking millions of percentages. Of <laughs> so that is how you create an amazing life. And this is part of your book called The Fitness Manifesto. Oh, yeah, The Whole Life. Fitness manifesto. I know it's a mouthful, but uh, it's just, yeah. fitness manifesto. And That's where right. can people uh, find your book? And oh. where can people stay in touch with you? Oh, thank you, Rebecca. Well, uh, you know, up here in the Great White North of Canada, we have <laughs> uh, basically it's Indigo Books or chapters uh, in the States, Barnes and Noble. Um, but I always tell most people just go to Amazon. It's the easiest and yeah. most effective and quickest way to get it. And I mean, we all one click of the button, the next thing you know, it's showing up on your doorstep. So that's probably the easiest way. And, um, but I also, and, and just a note, because you've asked me this, I, I, with my launch of my podcast, I recorded myself narrating the whole book. Oh my God. So they yes. can just listen to your awesome podcast that I they was go to the podcast. About. Yeah. There's 13 chapters and all 13 chapters been narrated. Do recognize that I've abbreviated and had to change the chapter that actually gives you the workout program because I explain all the movements. I give you everything and all the resources. So Incredible. to make the most of the program, I do encourage people to pick up the book, but believe me, just listening to everything that I go through and all the teaching, that's enough to get you started and, and it's free. So really there's no excuse. You know what I mean? So it's like the first several podcast episodes are you narrating your book? Yeah, yeah. So oh, I did three so episodes cool. and then the next nine or sorry, 13. So I actually, when I released my podcast, I released with 16 episodes. Okay. But, but 13 of those were the book. And oh, uh, wow. so, yeah, my early episodes in November, it's all me just narrating the book. All right. Well, you can buy it on Amazon or listen to it on the 2% Solution podcast. Thank and you. your social is so oh. much fun and inspirational Thanks. and it's just dynamic, just like you. So how can people find you on the internet? Well, I, I would recommend it's probably best just to go to Instagram and everything sort of comes from there. And a lot of people are very comfortable with that medium. And it's just my name, Di Manuel. Just remember it's spelled D-A-I and then Manuel, M-A-N-U-E-L. And the cool part about having a unique name, every social media platform I'm on, I just have my name. So I am actually quite easy to find on any social media platform if you just type in my name. But it's funny, people are so used to misspelling my name, they'll actually give you the auto suggestions now. Uh, typically my name comes up. Even if you start spelling like D-I Manuel, they're gonna recommend D-A-I Manuel, you know? And uh, But either way, that's the best way for people to connect with me. And I always say, listen, just send me a message. Be like, hey, I heard you and Rebecca jamming. This is what I'm working on changing. Like, that's great. I love hearing those stories. And, and so I encourage people, just reach out to me anytime. But do give me some grace because I'm an army of one when it comes to managing my social. I do that all myself. I don't farm that out because I, I believe that connection and communication is critical. And, and so I manage it all myself. So if I don't get back to you right away, it's only because I probably got some other messages I'm working on. So. Amazing. And this is January. So everybody's, you know, focused on health and fitness. 
if you could give them one tip to walk away with, since you are a health and fitness guru, what would that one, I know that you did give us the 30 minutes, which is incredible, but other than the 30 minutes, uh, the 2%, what, what could we apply to our lives to have a healthy 2024? Great question. I I guess my biggest invitation to people would be don't worry about trying to do everything all at once. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of us set very lofty goals for ourselves. And I don't think there's anything wrong with shooting for the moon and hitting the stars, as they say. I think that's great. But if you're not used to chasing those kind of goals, or it's been a while since you last had that kind of a focus or intentional goal, start by breaking it down into much smaller pieces. Like it's inevitable this time of year, people have resolutions. You know, and I'm like, forget New Year's resolutions, trying to find a New Year solution that actually works for you. And and think about just starting small. Like I, I see so many people like, I'm going to do my first 10K this year. And, and so, you know, January 1st, I'm out for my first 10K run. And, you know, next thing you know, it's like the next week they're in bed because they got shin splints, their hips hurt, their back hurts. Well, start with just 1K. You know, then maybe after a week, add another half K and just gradually build you'll find that the compounding effect works beautifully when you start making micro commitments that are intentional to your personal development and growth. And you've experienced a lot of this, Rebecca, especially in the last six years, which has brought you to where you yeah. are now. Congratulations again, by the way. It, it, it doesn't come without a lot of energy and focus and intentional actions. And I think yeah. your story and your platform is a wonderful example of just doing the right things for the right reasons and but being consistent and frequent with it. And look what happens. You know, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you, Di, for being a friend. I'm so glad we met in 23 and I can't wait to meet Christine and, you know, stay in touch with you guys. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the Balanced, Beautiful and Abundant show. It's our listeners that spread the word that you don't have to go through life tired, frustrated, burned out. You can be balanced, beautiful, and abundant. So keep sharing the show, keep rating it, subscribing, and being a part of this movement. And until we meet again, keep your vibe high and magnetized. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Di. Thank you. Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for being a devoted listener to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant show. I so appreciate your subscription, your reviews, sharing this podcast with your friends. And if you feel called to work with me on a personal level, I want to invite you to my Elegant Warrior training. It is starting in mid-January. I will personally help you get all seven areas of your life to a level 10. That includes your spirituality, your emotions, your romantic life, your financial life, get your mindset on track, make sure you have a great community. And this is a seven-week group coaching class. If you want to learn more about it or just meet me, I would love for you to schedule a complimentary breakthrough call. My schedule is very full this year, but I have opened three spots this week to talk to you and just see where you need a breakthrough, where are you feeling stuck in your life? Maybe you need to lose a few pounds. Maybe you're tired of being single, or maybe you're ready to double and triple your finances. So wherever you feel stuck, I'm committed 
committed to helping you have a breakthrough on this coaching call, go ahead and click the link in the show notes in the link tree to schedule that breakthrough call. And if you're interested in learning more about Elegant Warrior Training, I am happy to talk to you about it live, or you can always reach out through my email. Talk to you soon. Keep rocking your goals and keeping your vibe high, and I'll see you next week with another incredible guest.